Welcome to Powwow Live Podcast from powwows.com, connecting you with native culture since 1996. Here's your host, Paul Gowder. Hello and welcome to the Powell Live Podcast. I'm Paul Gowder, the founder of Powell's.com. Thanks for being here. Powell's.com is your way to connect, explore, learn, and experience native culture. And we're open for anyone to come and learn and be a part of what we're doing here at Powell's.com. So welcome. And Powell Life is our podcast where I bring you news, stories, interviews, and all kinds of other information from around Indian country. So thanks for being here. If you're listening on uh, Facebook, Facebook's going to discontinue support of podcasts really soon. So please make sure you are subscribed using Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of the other podcast networks because you will not see this on Facebook in June. So thanks for being here and I hope you will continue to listen to the show. On today's episode, I have a panel we did a little while ago, uh, and I wanted to bring it here to the podcast because I think it's very important. It was with the folks that put together a documentary called Gather. And this is a group of, uh, they're different stories about food in native uh, communities. So Gather is an intimate portrait of grow, of the growing movement amongst many Native Americans to reclaim their spiritual, political, and cultural identities through Food Sovereignty. And a couple weeks ago, we interviewed Chef Piet, who just won Fox's new cooking reality show. And she talked a lot about food sovereignty and how that tribes are really not sovereign until they can feed their own people, which is an amazing concept and, and thought process. And tribes are now working to get to that point and, and trying to figure out their supply chains and how their food supply is going to sustain them. And so these are four stories about those kinds of things and how these four folks are doing that in their own communities. So I hope you'll enjoy that uh, roundtable discussion. But first, I do have a couple of announcements. I want to say a special thanks to our Patreons. Those are the folks over at powwownation.com that are supporting powwows.com each month with a contribution. This really, really helps powwows.com accomplish our goals and do things like produce this podcast, hire more writers, travel to more powwows, and bring you more live streams. So thanks to them for being part of that community over at Powwow Nation. That community is doing some really fun things like we're having a monthly Zoom call where we all get together and just talk on Zoom. It's a great way for you to come and meet some of the other folks, get to know me, and, and I get to put faces to names. Uh, some folks come with questions or things they want to talk about, or you know, sometimes we've just hung out and had some good conversation. They all, Patreons also get uh, exclusive discounts to our merch, and some levels of our Patreon even get exclusive gifts not available for sale sent to them each month. So if you're interested in being part of that community and really helping support powwows.com, check it out over at powwownation.com. Also, if you are new to powwows 
and are looking to find one near you, please head over to powwows.com slash powwow101. That will tell you all about the dance styles, what powwows are all about, the meaning, the history, and send you all of this in a free email series to deliver right to your inbox over the course of about seven days. And this is free. So powwows.com slash powwow101. Powwows are back and they are happening in a big way. So make sure you check out our calendar often for the latest information, powwows.com slash calendar. And now for today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. Are you struggling to, you know, get kick off the day in the right way? Do you do you wake up and feel a little tired or and don't have the energy? Our Athletic Greens will get you off to the right right mindset and give you that energy and boost in the morning because they will give you all the high quality vitamins and minerals you need in an easy one scoop thing and it's delivered in a package that's super easy you can travel with it and they have a special offer if you check them out today at athleticgreens.com slash emerging you will get a free one-year supply of immunity immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase athleticgreens.com slash emerging the founder of this company, he was looking for ways to, to do this and get better health and vitamins, and he was paying over $100 a day. Now, with his new company, Athletic Greens, you can do this for less than just a few dollars a day, and you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals delivered to you in an easy, digestible way. It, it, look, I'm trying to get myself right now that I'm retired, semi-retired, retired from the day job, but not from working, and I'm trying to figure out ways to, to get more healthy and start my days off right, and this is one of the ways you can do that. So check them out over athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Thanks to them for their sponsorship of today's podcast, and now here is our roundtable discussion with the folks from the Gather documentary. My name is Sanjay Rawal. I am the director of a new documentary called Gather. I'm thrilled to be joined today by one of the stars of the movie, Twyla Castor, and the executive producer of the movie, Ade Briones. Twyla, you're on San Carlos Apache. I would love if you could offer a few words of, of prayer or blessings or any way you see fit to start this little conversation we're going to have. Get long day on the Kayib and let out in 
Well, that was wonderful. That was Twyla's mother. On a couple of the panels we've done, we've been really blessed to have her presence, and it's a real, real treat. Thank you, Twyla. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Great way to start. And what she said was a blessing to everybody, blessing for people to maintain their good health during this pandemic that's going on, and that to just continue praying and to be positive during these times. Twyla, how, how are you staying positive? Oh, uh, many ways. One is, um, one is um, eating from Jones. Uh, and going through what I have right now, we're in um, a quarantine right now. So, but we're all okay. And just looking at what I'm going to do next year, you know, just looking for the best for next year to see how it'll be. And I don't know. There's so many things to be doing here. I, I can look around here and it's just like, the, you know, working, working, um, how you say, with that, the leather, you know, um, doing other projects with the scarves, you know, just finding things to do in the house. Same with my daughter. My daughter is doing projects also. So we're just keeping ourselves busy. Well, in, in our film that we made together, Gather, you spoke about your role in taking young people, youth, out to the, the traditional foraging areas, teaching them about the plants, teaching them about animals. As far as I remember, it's almost pack rat season. Are oh, you- it is right now. Okay, so, so last week, some of the guys got some um, pack rat for me to cook, so I'll be cooking it for them. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it is pack rat season. I say glush chill. We don't say pack rat. Pack rat is like a like a, a word that sounds very um, uh, you hear rat in the end of it. So we say glush chill. And so it's uh, that season. So I'm pretty excited. So we have some visitors coming, and we'll be preparing that for them when they do come. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of glush chill and how you got to be so good at capturing them? Okay, Glushcha is part of the, I can't say, it's part of the food source. I was in part of food source, but it was never really dependent upon until the reservation came about, where people were limited to the bigger games, larger games, and hunting, and doing what they normally would do. So being placed on the reservation limits your access to, to wild games, but people still had that knowledge of, okay, if there's not that, there's this. We know we can eat this, so that that became um, more dependent on for protein. And so, with the transition of time, as 
how you say colonization really really developed in our communities when stores, school, uh, uh, religion, all these different things came about. Also came a transition of food, and so when people at a time, at one time, depended not on no stores, no markets, nothing. They depended. They were in balance with Mother Earth, and their food source was in balance with them. And when that was taken away, that limited them. So when colonization and schools came about, it became to most Native Americans that, oh, that's only what poor people eat because we did not buy that food. Oh, you're eating poor people's food. It wasn't poor people's food. It was a mindset that changed in a lot of people in that time that, oh, we shouldn't eat that food. And also there was also a time in the 60s where Agent Orange had, had flowed through our community. And that also changed the mindset of eating traditional food or hunting traditional, you know, traditional like, like the pack rat. So a lot of people moved away from that, mostly because they appear and because to be belittled, be considered um, poor. And so what we're doing now is collaborating with our elders in the community, and also with the four tribes, what's the, um, the White Mountain Apache, um, Camp Verde, um, Payson, and San Carlos, with the elders to revitalize a lot of that food sources that is very abundant. It's not enough to support a community, but there is food out there that, that will um, sustain people, but also a part of the culture, the history, and who we are. And, and part of our DNA as Apache people. So hunting pack rats has been um, pretty exciting for reintroducing a lot of the traditional food and people that have never hunted them before or never heard about them before. It's really exciting. Then also you get the elders that have eaten these, have grew up on these, and have also been, um, you know, just, just actually this is what supported their meat source at one time. So when you have young kids today go out and they go out and tell grandma, grandma is like, so like, oh, where did you go? And they tell her the whole story about the Pacra hunt. Our, our auntie or uncle, one of them. And what happens during that time is when this young child goes home or this young adult goes home or this, this uh, adult goes home and shares what they did with us. It's like you see a book on a shelf and they go, open up this dusty book sitting there for decades because it was embarrassed to open this book. So you see them saying, oh, we used to hunt it like this. We used to eat it like this. We used to do this. And it's this whole conversation comes back alive. And that's the exciting part about this is seeing that life brought back between these gaps of generations. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So right, yes, right now is winter season. I have them in my freezer right now. So we're going to get ready to prepare that in probably a week or two with, with uh, some guests I'm going to be having here. And we're going to have some of our um, young people that hunted them. They're going to be participating in cooking, cooking these. And it's something that we're going to change over from um, this turkey thing to a time when elders from this community here, they would have a big bag of them. You know, cooked up for this specific holiday coming up, Thanksgiving, and they would just cook that instead of a turkey. So we're gonna bring that back and see how it goes, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. Thank you, Twyla. 
Ade, you're a food systems expert at the First Nations Development Institute out of Colorado. Um, Twyla brought up a couple of things. She brought up the effects of COVID-19 on food security and food access, but she also spoke about the revitalization of traditional foodways during this time. Can you give us a sense of what the, the what the broader context is and what other tribal nations are are dealing with now? Yeah, when it comes to COVID, it's a really, well, first, I think it's important to remember that Indigenous people have always um, dealt with pandemics. This is not our first go-round with a pandemic or food shortages, but what we saw during COVID is that as Twyla talked about this like transition of values from the traditional food system to like a cash economy and American value systems where traditional foods is considered, if you don't buy it in a store, it's considered poor people food. And, you know, when we read historical narratives about indigenous people, we see so many descriptions about how dirty Indian people were because they were seen digging roots or because they were seen um, chasing after animals when really that was like a Western value system being um, imposed on a whole community. So, you know, during boarding school, when Tons of indigenous children went to these institutions where they were taught how to cook carbohydrates, fat, lard, sugar, flour. They, you know, entire generations of indigenous children were taught to cook these foods. And eventually they go home and start cooking them for their children and their children start cooking them for their children. So it's this cycle where our value systems changed. But before that, we lived through pandemics. We lived through food shortages. And during COVID, a lot of the, the resurgence of those tactics to get through it were um, re, not rediscovered. I want to say they were like reawakened in that um, the current modern food system has indigenous communities at the end of the food chain. It's not uncommon for a person to have to drive 50 to 75 miles to go get food at a grocery store. Like that is a common occurrence in Indian country. It's because the modern food supply chain doesn't reach us. And so during the pandemic, when all the disruption happened with our supply chains, the end of the food supply chain felt it the most, which resulted in food shortages. So of course, like government and like outside organizations response was, we need to get food to the Indians. And so they started shipping food from all places. But internally, when you looked at the communities dealing with the pandemic, you saw people saying, we need to have our indigenous seeds. We need to learn how to feed ourselves. We need to grow our own corn. We need to go hunting. And unfortunately, we see like an uptick in hunting and gathering citations from government agencies, like during the the COVID occurrence. We see citations being given out to indigenous people for hunting or gathering. And so like what that tells all of us is that this system that is meant to change our values to one of a Western system where the food bought in the store is supposed to be more valued is still at play. We are still being cited for hunting. We are still being cited for gathering when really 
we are just doing, we are just reacting to a food system or modern food system that doesn't serve us. And so like all of these things are happening during COVID. And I think the most important thing is like we, you know, we, we've dealt with pandemics, we dealt with food shortages, like now we're having to deal with citations from outside agencies for practicing our traditional food ways, much like we did in the late 1800s. You know, there was dire consequences for going hunting off your reservation. There were dire consequences for gathering not on the reservation. And we're seeing similar things happen in 2020. Like what the heck is going on? So again, as, as a follow-up, you know, COVID-19 took us relatively by surprise. Um, and we're now realizing that it's not going anywhere, you know, for in the next six months or a year. What are your suggestions to Native communities to be better prepared from a food system standpoint? Yeah, of course. Well, I think... There's people like Twyla in every community. There's people who remember, if not are actively practicing traditional food ways. Like we really need to lift those up. We really need to support those people. Like we can no longer have like um, inner feelings about the value proposition of these people. Like we can't be thinking, like internally, we can't be thinking like these are poor people's food. I think some of us still think that, even if we don't say it out loud, because we're all kind of indoctrinated somehow into this Western system where Walmart is king or the grocery store is king. So we do have to change that mindset. That's something we have to work on internally, each one of us. But also I think tribal governments really need to step up and start advocating for not only tribal gathering permits, but tribal hunting permits. Like we really need that our tribal governments to advocate for the practice of these traditional foodways in these Western settings where everything is regulated and everything is managed. And we have to, like, we no longer have the land bases, land bases that we once had to maintain our populations. Like, we understand the carrying capacity of the land, but we really need these conversations to happen at the institutional level so that people are not sent to prison for hunting. Heavy stuff. Um, Twyla, we, we only showed one side of your multifaceted set of skills in Gather. We showed your expertise in foraging and hunting. But people might not know that, in my mind, you're a master cook as well. You're part of a group called the I Collective, a group of Native American culinary professionals, some Oaxacans basically Turtle Island native chefs and professionals. I've seen you transform traditional ingredients like sumac berry into pies that might as well be sold in the best Western restaurants in America. You transformed blue corn into biscotti, things that kids recognize these days. What Can you tell us what your most recent in- success was and also your most recent recipe failure my most recent success is um i can't say success but i see a lot of um acceptance to some of the traditional food one is um this this is um because of this um pandemic virus going on this is a 
desert fruit. So the desert fruit, um, this other desert fruit that produces in the desert, is a, you have to know your trees and you have to know your, your plants. You can't just pick any plant. But teaching the young people about these two plants, these have, um, how, you, how you say, um, properties in them to help prevent certain illnesses, but reteaching this. But with some of these other plants, oh, this is my nice one. This, I like this one. So you got prickly pear, regular prickly pear. Make a nice hot tea. You don't see this much in the market anywhere, but you do. I do have a great tea. It's a hot tea with a just prickly pear. Real simple drink. It's awesome. It's good for you. I think it's um gonna hopefully become the trend in my community here. Um, people will start drinking it not just cold but hot. Uh, let's see. We got I don't know. There's so many different things going on. I can't really say a whole lot, but we're doing a lot of things. Have Have you made any great dishes by accident recently? I know you're always experimenting. <laughs> okay, yeah, we do. We do different. I do different dishes here at home, and a lot of them is incorporating the traditional acorn. Like acorn, we've done like the different types of um, soups with them. It's making them not using flour, but using acorn, making that dumpling. And so a lot of people will use uh, white or processed flour for the dough to make a part of the stew. What I do is incorporate all traditional foods, all traditional, um, how you say, grains that I've collected and nuts and make a dough with it. And I'll share it with people in the community here. You get a great feedback. It's like, Oh, wow, this is good. I didn't know you could do this with this. You know, we're so used to that simple mindset of, let's see, I don't have any me, of having it presented in a certain way. Like acorn is only made as certain stew. It's never been changed. So using that same um, technique to collect and harvest, but changing the plating of it, are changing the way we're eating it is really pretty, really, it really um, attracts the younger people. But you still go back to that traditional way of harvesting. There's no other way that you have to go out there and collect and pick. You got to learn about plants. It's not, you know, you don't pick for this one. It got struck by lightning. You don't pick for this one. It was got an owl's nest in it. You don't pick from down for whatever reason. There are different things of, of a tree. That's why not all trees are collected from. You know, you could go out there and have a farm of trees, but you can't pick from all of them because things will happen to certain trees and there are reasons why. And so people say because of the chemistry, you know, we can say in, in that tradition, traditionally there's, there's a chemistry that happens and it's not good for you. So you have to know which plant is good for you. So we say a lot of disrespect has happened to some of these plants, so some of these plants don't grow back. So what we do is uh, teach the young people what the elders said, how do you collect this? How do you approach this plant? You don't just take. And we're in a, we're in a, how you say, generation where people are like, give me, take, take, but not that respect of, oh, I only should take so much. Like that, my pignon tree, you know, I, I love, this is like gold, believe me, it's gold here. But 
you see more people out harvesting, which is true what a day is saying. That with this pandemic, I see more people hunting deer locally. I see more people uh, um, picking the nuts and the berries and the roots and the tubers. I've seen that like triple this year. And gardening, boy, that has really gone up from an average of 40 to nearly probably past 160 that I've counted so far of traditional gardens. Not just all these other gardens, but traditional gardens have been um, something people have keyed back into. It's like going back and, and knowing what we what can support us during this time because it's true. Stores are a long way. This 40 miles, 50 miles round trip just to get to a grocery store. And people relying just back on what we're used to having before a lot of things have changed. And people being mindful of what's in the meat. You know, we don't know what's in the makashi, the cows. You know, they injected with all kinds of things. But you get the nice deer and deer meat and the elk meat. You know, you know they're eating healthy out there. So if the land is healthy, the meat is healthy. So if you can keep the land healthy, we're always going to have food. Thank you, Twyla. A day to to wrap up. You're you're part of several communities. Um, Coach D, Kiowa. You're married to a, a citizen of the Big Valley Rancheria. How are you combining all these various food traditions this November? Um, well, I think we combine them every month of the year. We try, like right now, you know, Twyla was talking about acorn season where she's at. It's acorn season here. Probably the last couple of weeks um, are, are being had right now. Uh, I think my kids being both Coach T, Kiowa, Pomo, and Native Hawaiian, it's sometimes it's really hard to choose what kind of um, food or, or meal we're going to cook, but we figure it out. And really, um, when we're in California, we eat like Native Californians. When we're in Kochiti, we eat like Kochiti people. When we're in Kiowa country, we eat like Kiowas. Because really, I think the most important thing, like Twyla said, is that you're connected to the lands on which you come from. And in order to be connected to those lands, you need to like participate, you need to gather, you need to collect your food from those lands. And so I think right now I'm in calling from Lodi, California. So we're eating a lot of acorn and deer and fish and seaweed. And so that's, that's how we do it. Well, I really appreciate the time on powwows.com. Twyla, I always appreciate the time that you give us because I know you're doing so much for so many people. And today, First Nations Development Institute, you guys are all legends. I'm grateful for your presence in my life and for all the tremendous amount of work you guys are doing all over Turtle Island. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks everybody for the time. I do had a, I had a couple of questions. Listen, everybody, first, I'm ready to go fix lunch because now I'm hungry now, but... Twyla, I know you, you're talking about trying to get more people out hunting and, and gathering the pack rats. So I, I'm curious, how do you prepare them? What, what, how do you, how do you cook those? <laughs> okay, so so that's different. You you have to know your species. They're different species, uh, desert wood rats. So knowing your species, um, knowing your environment, you don't collect some. So you don't hunt for this near the community. You have to be at least four or five miles away from the community. Because you look at the 
how are you saying? If the land isn't healthy, the food's not healthy. So the land is not healthy and, and our parameters due to uh, illegal dumping or people, uh, you know, just polluting out there. And there are, um, in our areas, we do have um, unresolved issues with Agent Orange being buried in several, you know, several locations. So trying to find a location is still still an ongoing process right now. So due to that, just being aware of what's in your environment. But anyway, going back to Glusha, you go out, it's like watching, I'm serious, it's like watching a soccer game. You're out there running and chasing this thing down. And, and what you do is, once um, you capture it, you just gut it, and you just put the whole thing in the pot, let it boil for some time until all the fur fall off. And after that, you're good to go. You can do whatever you want with it. What I do is a great uh, sumac glaze with it. And so we also can do a juniper berry glaze with it. There's different um, roots and tubers in, a, in, a, in the land that you can add to it. So Glusha is pretty exciting. I'm pretty excited. I'm working on a, a little video to present one day about this whole process. And I'm pretty excited to see people's response to it. Because every community has, not Glusha, but they have something like maybe prairie dogs or they have other different different uh, species of animals in their locations that isn't really shining at the moment. And so just bringing back some light to a lot of those plants and recognition, not plants, but to those animals is um, bringing that recognition back into the community that, you know, we're thankful. I'm thankful for, for these, um, what we've been blessed with. You know, we're blessed with uh, a lot of food out there. I can honestly say that because when I take young people out there and schools out there and they go um, glistro hunting, boy, it's exciting. But when you see them eat it, I've had a whole group of young young people come in. They want to take it home. They say, can we go hunt some more? Can we get some more? I say, yeah, you can do this with your, your uncle. Just tell them, you know. And so it's, it's exciting to see that acceptance with the young people. Thank you. That's, that's, that's pretty amazing that you're getting the kids involved. Now, you know, I've seen there's lots of, um, even outside the indigenous communities, lots of people are trying to move away from the processed foods and the, all the stuff we've, we've been kind of crammed down with fast food or whatever. So are there some resources or places we can point people to um, that are looking for more information? Where would you all suggest they start? I would start at um, firstnations.org. We have a knowledge center and we have so many resources about indigenous food systems and really critiques of like the modern food system um, on our website. We have tons of articles. I would start there. And I think we're people at First Nations are always available to talk, but there's also groups like the Sustainable Ag and Food Systems Funders who put a lot of resources out for like non-Indigenous people about our food system. Um, so I would start at those two places. Thank you. I'll make sure I put links to all that. That's awesome. Day, if you, if you could recommend three books that non-Natives should read and that, that Natives should read, what would you recommend? Um, well, our current book is an oldie but goodie. Um, so Custer Died for Your Sins by Vine Deloria. Oh my gosh, it's an awesome book. And even if you read it 
four or five times, the sixth time you read it, you'll find something else. It's just just a critique of the modern system, and I think every Indian person should read it. Also, books by Greg Cajete. Um, he's pretty awesome. He has books like Native Science and the People's Ecology, and it's all based on indigenous food system. And Enrique Salomon, who um, has Eating the Landscape, and now he has like a cookbook, sort of. It's a cookbook, like critique on modern food systems, but from a traditional perspective, it's pretty awesome. And Sean Sherman has a pretty good cookbook out there as well that people can buy and experiment with traditional grains if they have access to game and if they feel like doing a tiny bit of foraging. Oh, and the Pueblo Food Experience by Roxanne Swinzel is very good. Oh, yeah, that's very good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody, for, for uh, doing this today. It, it's a really amazing topic to hear, and I hope more people will get involved in this. Well, we appreciate everything that you do, Paul. Thanks for having us. Thanks, everybody. We love powwells.com. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. What an incredible topic. Food sovereignty is so important to tribes for not only making sure that they remain sovereign groups, but just in so many ways to support their people and make sure that everybody is taken care of and, and has those basic needs. And I love the fact that some of these folks are turning back to, to traditional food sources and traditional ways of gathering and, and sourcing food. Really cool. I hope you go check out the documentary Gather. Uh, and learn more about that. Thanks for being a part of uh, our community here at powwows.com and being a part of our podcast. We do put this out every week, so I hope you'll subscribe. We can do it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast players. My name is Paul Gowder, and I am the founder of powwows.com. Thanks for being here, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Power Life podcast from powers.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of our next episode. Find the Power near you by visiting www.powers.com forward slash calendar. Support powers.com by visiting www.powernation.com. Here is this week's trivia question. You can head over to powwowlife.com to fill out the form and submit your answer. All the right answers are entered into a drawing for a 10-sticker powwows.com sticker pack. Here's the question. This year, we are celebrating a big milestone. We have been live streaming for a number of years. So tell me, what year was the first year we streamed and what was the first powwow we streamed? 
If you've been listening or following our content, you should be able to find it. Good luck. Powwowlife.com to submit your answer. What was the first powwow and what year did we first live stream? Good luck and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.